This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That You're now based in Canada. How are you enjoying life yeah. after football, and how are you enjoying the move to across the pond, as they say? Yeah. Um, well, do you know, uh, I mean, after football, now it seems so long since I've retired. That's the thing, and so much has happened probably since I have retired. And initially, it looked as I was following a coaching path. I was doing a little bit of coaching up at Hull, taking the under twenty three side for for a season, and then and then things changed quickly. Nicky Balmy ended up getting the sack and. You know, all of a sudden, then a chain of events happened where I started doing a bit of media work, and then that took over where I started to do lots of, the, of stuff with the BBC over the last few years. And then I met my wife, or my now wife, who who's Canadian. So uh, we decided that you know this is this is going to be the best place to bring up uh, bring up the kids. My wife then was pregnant from June, and of course we had COVID that came around. So things happened very quickly, and. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying life. I can't, I can't say anything, but I, I am enjoying life. It's been, a, it's been a difficult year, I think, for everybody. And my initial thoughts coming over here last year it was about a year to the day actually when, when I arrived here in Canada. Which we were going to come over here for a few weeks. We had uh, quite a lot of loose ends that we needed to tie up uh, back in in the UK and Ireland. We, I, I had a place in Dublin that I needed to get sorted as well, and it. It was just COVID. I couldn't fly back, and you know it went on so long. And then Brianne, my wife, was um, you know was pregnant then, so I didn't want to risk anything with flying back once the the, the airports reopened. So it's um, it's been a strange old time, but uh, I've adapted well, and it's because probably of COVID has probably helped that in many respects. Really, that I've just had to just keep my feet firmly on the ground and just stay stay tight. So it's been good. And in terms of your footballing career, you started out at Preston North End. You go from the academy to the first team. How proud are you of that journey? Mm. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I, I mean, you know what? I grew up. I, 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 I mean, everybody. Th- I'm, I'm from Preston, and you know, I'm, I'm proud of that. That I, I, I played for my hometown club, but I probably felt out of place in Preston growing up. I, I, you know. Both my parents are Irish. All my family's Irish, so we were just we, we were immersed in an Irish culture, an Irish um, Irish society, if you if you like. So I think my growing up, all I wanted to do as a kid was play for Celtic and play for Ireland. That's all I wanted to do. So, you know, Celtic was our team, was 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 the family's team. As many Irish people probably would be in the same boat as me. So. To then progress, getting older, uh, as I got older, sorry, then to pro- progress into into the youth team at Preston because I was with Preston, associated with Preston from from a from a, a boy of ten. Um, it was a lucky progression. I'd say that's the way when you look back. Anything, you know, I think anyone that does make it has to have a, a huge element of luck along the way. You, you have ability, but there's so many other players that that have got ability that would have played it from under 11s, under 12 level, all the way through to to senior level with me that just don't quite 
maybe have maybe the mindset, maybe have injury problems, maybe you know, there's a number of issues that, that can happen along the way. And I was I was fortunate that I managed to break into the side. I mean, up until recently, I think it was Ben Davis who's just gone from Preston to uh, to, to Liverpool. I was still the only million uh, million pound footballer to come through Preston's academy. So that was that was that was nice to have to become the first million pound footballer to 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 come through Preston's academy and also become the first million pound footballer to sign for West Brom when I left Preston. It was, you know, you can look back now and you can have, you can look at these little things where they, they're quite nice to have, I suppose, maybe on your, uh, on your resume from, from my career. And in terms of Preston, you first worked with David Moyes when he was a younger coach at Preston. <clears throat> what was he like yeah. at that time? I was actually captain when I was 16, uh, 15, 16, when I first went full-time at Preston. And David Moyes just signed the summer that I went in. So we're going back a long time now, 93. So David was was initially signed at Preston as captain. Um, and he, he was, he, I, I can't get away from the fact is that he's, he's probably the biggest influence on my career. You know, I was lucky that I had a, a youth, um, my youth team manager was Sam Allardyce. So Sam took me from school to full-time football at 16, so that was great. Uh, and then, of course, David Moyes then, who was initially captain, who we all looked up to at the club, certainly as, as, youth, as youth team players at that time. But he helped me progress then to professional level. And, you know, I, I think he recognised my ability as a kid. And he helped nurture me, I have to say that. He helped nurture me in a big way, just to, you know, maybe how to conduct yourself a little bit off the field, probably more than anything else. Uh, and obviously the application that you've got to maintain throughout your career or you won't get anywhere. And I, I, he, he heavily influenced me, yeah. So to have to have him around me, I think, through a majority of my career, and it was always someone, even when I left and went to West Brom and Sunderland before I went back and played under him at Everton, he was always someone that I could call upon if, you know, if something wasn't going right, if things weren't necessarily happening for me and I was having a few issues maybe on the field, he could, he could always be someone I could call upon to uh, to, to make that phone call to. So he, he has heavily influenced my career without a doubt, yeah. And in terms of the interest that was in you, I mean, you mentioned the fact that you were a million pound player coming from the Preston Academy. <clears throat> At the time, why did you choose West Brom? Um... Do you know what? It was, I mean, it was probably different times. I seem to remember when I was at Preston in those days, there was a different club that was, you know, down at Deepdale or wherever we were playing when we were on the road. There was a different scout from every club that was there watching me. Whether And it was and, and invariably, it was the big boys. It was Arsenal and Man United in those days that were there watching you. And maybe... It was even when I was at West Brom before before I went to Sunderland and I stepped up to Premier League level. There was there was chances I could have gone to bigger clubs, but I I thought that maybe the progression to take was that you know to to maybe go and play football. That was the only thing that was in my head at the time. I I always remember thinking back as a kid, and it was mentioned when I mentioned Sam Allardyce early on. But Sam Allardyce was our obviously our youth team coach, and someone mentioned you know Sam Allardyce had played five hundred six hundred league games. And I remember thinking that in those days, even at 16, look, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to play 500 league games in, in, in your career? And I think that was in my mindset for early days. I wanted to go places where I was actually going to go and play football. Um, that was the only thing that was probably in my mindset. Even when I was 17, 18, 19, when I was breaking in and when I, when 
I was being touted with a move away from Preston in those days. I just wanted to go and play. So West Brom and Ray Harford. Ray Harford was, of course, Blackburn manager before he went to West Brom. He was assistant manager under Kenny Daglish. He was a huge admirer of me at Blackburn. But they had Damien Duff. So Damien Duff and I were both left-sided players in those days. Obviously, both went on to play together with, in, with the international setup. But So Blackburn probably would have taken me maybe... To a couple of years before I went to West Brom certainly a year before I went to West Brom if he didn't have Damien but Damien maybe was, was filling that position so once Ray left and went to West Brom he immediately came in for me and I, I'd heard good things about Ray I'd heard about his coaching ability and I wanted to go and work under Ray as much as I wanted to go and play football and I think I mean, although I didn't have a long a long spell under Ray because he ended up leaving and going to QPR because he, he had a better offer to and he was living in London at the time. I just decided it was the best option for me to go to West Brom to go and play football. And luckily for me, I mean, I, I was only there two and a half years at West Brom, but I look back and I, I probably played 120, 130 games for West Brom. And that was nice for me looking back that, you know, I I've, I played virtually every game that I was that was that I was available for. And that was the most important thing looking back when I look at my career, that it was about playing games and progressing my career. And of course, I knew that playing games would have helped me progress to the Irish setup because that was all I wanted to do. And in terms of that progression and getting international um, success, in terms of being called up, what did it feel like when you got that first call up for the national setup? Because I imagine that's a proud moment that you look back on with great fondness. Yeah, I mean, the old story that goes round, which is true. I mean, I was called up to England at youth level before that. And, you know, I, I turned England down. And Sam Allardyce, was my, as I said before, was my youth team manager. He nearly punched my head off when I, took, when I turned it down because I didn't want to play. For, I just wouldn't play for England. That, that, that was how I felt probably when I was when I was uh, 17 and 18 and in those days I just wanted to play for Ireland and there was still nothing on the horizon at that stage and that was maybe what Sam couldn't understand that I was turning England down without having any call up for Ireland but it wasn't too long after that that I was called into the under-21 setup. and I think in many respects being called up for the under-21 setup was uh, maybe as proud a moment because it was the first one um, you know, as I said before all I wanted to do was just that, that was the ultimate for me play for Ireland particularly probably play play for Ireland at Lansdowne Road uh, growing up watching the team was that was all I wanted to do so um, when I got the call up at under 21 level I knew it was the obviously the progression the step in the right direction Mick McCarthy had just taken over from Big Jack so there was maybe a chance with the old guard that were moving on that I might within a couple of years or a short space of time get the chance to play and he was already introducing Ian Hart um, Shea Given uh, Gary Breen and, play- and Kenny Cunningham players like this who were younger players during those times he was bringing them in to give them the birth at, at the senior setup. so I was hoping that I could progress maybe like those players and, and get into the interna- international setup after them and luckily for me it did it happened uh, just after I moved to West Brom so I mean as I said Going to West Brom, maybe there was other clubs I could have gone to, but I knew that by playing games, it would have helped me at international level. And luckily enough, I got into the senior setup more or less straight away once I'd signed for West Brom. So, and as I said before, it, it genuinely was the ultimate for me. That that was all I wanted to do. I, I I put playing for Ireland above anything, and that's you know, playing for a club at the at the very very top level. Playing for Ireland was the ultimate, and is the ultimate as far as I was concerned. When you look at your Ireland career, 110 caps, you also go to a World Cup, which is a dream for, for most young players when, when they're coming through. How do you reflect on it overall? Because as I say, when I mention the 110 caps in a World Cup, it, it sounds pretty good. 
Oh, it's great. It is great. Um, I, I I probably look back with a lot of regrets. I have to say that we 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 had a good core of players um, in all two when we were at the World Cup. Although we had a couple of re- retirements after all two, majority of the squad stayed together, and we we should have qualified for more tournaments. We certainly should have gone to to, to more World Cups. We should have gone to to more European Championships. We had a lot of heartache. We missed out on playoffs. Every, every, everybody probably obviously remembers the 0-9 game against France where we missed out and with Henri's handball um, but we had so many big moments big games big nights and we just missed out on you know on by fine margins it has to be said in, over, over two legs in playoffs and maybe with a bit more luck or a bit more self-belief I suppose we could have maybe we could have maybe gone on and qualified for more World Cups but it was the dream yeah it absolutely was the dream you know I think the, the reality hit me during Italy uh, in 1990, Italian 90, when I was 13, 12, 13, watching the team then was, I said before, playing for Ireland at Lansdowne, yes. But I think the ultimate dream was always, always to play for Ireland at a World Cup. That, that was all I wanted to do. That was that was the dream. And yeah, playing over there in Japan and Korea was was incredible. It, well, it was a, a special experience that... That, um, that I can look back on now with fond memories, even though it maybe the way it ended for us and me personally wasn't the greatest, but it was it was great times. And we, the only dis- the only disappointing thing was for my international career is we didn't have as much success as maybe the caliber of players um, suggested we should have done. We should have we should have done better. We should have we should have qualified for more tournaments. We had players playing at the top of the game, uh, playing at top clubs in England as well, and we should have done better. We absolutely should have done better. Yeah. In terms of um, two players I want to ask you about who were real leaders in that team and as you say it was a real golden generation you can hear from the accent I'm based in Scotland and we didn't qualify yeah. for any major tournaments during, during that period so when you looked at the Ireland team you had Roy Keane, you had Robbie Keane you had obviously yourself, you had Shea Given, Richard Dunn, Damien Duff the list goes on and on what was it? Yeah. What were Roy and Robbie Keane like because they both led the team at different spells throughout your career? Yeah, but both, do you know what, both very, very different personalities, absolutely very different personalities. Uh, Roy, absolutely, you know, obviously remembers, everyone remembers the heartache of all two for us personally when we didn't have Roy with us in the World Cup. But but Roy was, I, I personally think, I think if I was going to choose any midfield player from, from my year of watching football, if, if we're going back maybe over a Premier League era, Everyone mentions Gerard and Scholes and Lampards and Vieiras. I, I, I would absolutely take Roy Keane above any any single one of them. I think his his leadership skills were incredible. I think his passing ability was incredible. Um, his ability to control a game was way above and beyond any of those players that I mentioned there. I feel, um, and that's why maybe he had so much so much success at Man United. And and, he, and that luckily, from my own point of view, I played alongside Roy in the middle of midfield. Um, when he actually, after he finished and, and when he came back under Brian Kerr, uh, and I loved playing alongside him because he just kept everything so simple. He didn't, you know, he'd, he'd have little talks to you about not crossing over in midfield, hold your position, you know, and little things like that. When I, I mean, I, I was a lot more experienced than at 25, 26, but I was always willing to listen and learn from him because of, not, not least because of the ability that he had, but also his know-how of, of, of the football pitch. And, um, you know, absolutely one of the best world in the world during the the early two thousands. He was, he simply was. He, there would have been very few midfielders ahead of him, if any, because some might have had more ability. But I think for Roy's 
ability to control games and dictate a football uh, a football match. There was he, he was second to none, absolutely second to none, and that was why I think that we maybe had the success at international level having Roy on our side. But we also had a number of other players. Yeah, you mentioned Damien, you mentioned Shea Given, Richard Dunn. And we had players that maybe went under the radar a little bit. We had players maybe like Mark Kinsler, we had uh, Stephen Reid, we had Gary Kelly, we had Ian Hart, um, Steve Staunton was around at those times. You know, we, we had we had a, we had a, such depth to our squad that if we had injuries, it never really affected us. We had injuries to maybe Roy or Robbie or Damien, that could have affected us, yes, but... Everybody else, we had two or three other players that could have just filled in uh, effortlessly into that side. So that was the, the great thing about that, that that particular squad. And then Robbie, who you mentioned, that Robbie went on then to become captain after after Roy, maybe it's after Kenny Cunningham actually, but after after that, Robbie was very different. Robbie was Robbie was the the joker in the pack, the joker in our dressing room. He really was, and he had to maybe grow up a little bit when he did become captain, but. Robbie's desire day in, day out on the training ground was as good as I've seen from anybody. I, I, I think at 17, for natural ability, for natural, uh, as a street football, everyone talks about Wayne Rooney. I played with Wayne at 16 and 17 coming through at Everton. I think Robbie was equally as good as Wayne, if not better. And that that is, I, I think it's at, at that age is what I'm talking, which many people might maybe scoff at. But... Robbie had a different physique than Wayne. Wayne was all power, pace, and you know, real ability, obviously to score goals and everything. But Robbie had a cleverness about him that that Wayne probably could never, never have had an ability to to play on the shoulder of defenders and clever, clever feet and clever uh, ability to to find space for himself on the pitch. Uh, that was why he scored so many goals. That's why he had so much success. And when he became captain, I think he, I think he actually went on and got better. Many people maybe suggest that he didn't, but his goal-scoring record at international level suggests that he did. We playing in games where we we we, went, we were never going to create a lot of chances in games, and it would always have been, you know, a nil-nil, one-nil games either way. We were having to we were having to sit in tight against some of the best teams we we're playing against, and if we created one or two chances across the ninety minutes. Invariably, if they fell to Robbie, it, they would, he would have scored. And that was a thing with us. We had a game changer in Robbie. We had a player that we knew we could rely on every time. If we put the ball in the penalty area, he'd find a little bit of space for himself and he would score. And he also put demands on others as well with his ability on the pitch. So he was, we, yeah, two very different personalities, but two excellent captains to, to play alongside. Absolutely, yeah. After West Brom, your next destination is Sunderland under Peter Reid. What was that era of Sunderland like? Because Peter Reid's a very passionate guy. He was as a player and yeah. he was as a manager as well. Yeah, I, I love playing under Peter Reid. Uh, I mean, as I said before, I, I had I, I had a lot of options at that time. And I chose Sunderland again. It was through Peter Reid. Honestly, it was Peter Reid. I could have gone to Liverpool under Gerard Houllier. I could have gone to Leeds. Uh, both, obviously, super powered. But once... My agent had spoken to Jared Hulia. Jared Hulia was just—he was saying, "Look, you're going to sit in our reserve team for a year." I was only—I was still only 22, and I thought, "Look, hang on a minute. I'm playing international football here. I'm playing—I've uh, played, as I said before, 100 odd games for West Brom. I feel as though that I want to be going playing football. That was the thing that was in my mind. Whereas 
Liverpool and maybe even Leeds to an extent wanted me to be a squad player and try to progress over a couple of years. Peter Reid was giving me all the right messages. Look, you're going to play every week. You're going to be straight in our team. You're going to be you're going to be our main man, which I suppose any manager needs to do to try and entice a player. And I was sucked in by that. I was sucked in by everything that he said to me. And I, I wanted to go and play for him. Obviously, Niall Quinn was a huge influence at Sunderland as well. He was on the phone constantly, uh, you know, Look, you've got to come here. You've got to, you'll love it playing for Sunderland. So to play for Sunderland at that time, when obviously Quinn and Phillips up front were were the the great duo, the great the, the, the way that they played together was was great to see. And that wasn't just on a match day; that was day in day out. You could see the relationship they had on the pitch, and it and it wasn't necessarily it was it was harnessed off the pitch. It was just a, it naturally came together for them. Kevin's ability to find himself in space off Niall was was great to watch actually it was great to see when you, when you're on the pitch watching Kevin find himself space and his finishing ability so we had obviously Peter Reid as, as manager we had Bobby Saxton and Adrian Heath as well as on the coaching staff they were we had great characters at the club it was it was a, an amazing time to be at the club because we finished 7th I think 2 years on the bounce we had so many good players that were playing for us at the time and I think the only disappointing thing is it, it, we couldn't sustain it. We couldn't keep that going over a 10-year period. And Sunderland has been in the doldrums almost since Peter Reid left the, left the football club. And it, it's been a shame to see Sunderland the way that he's gone, actually. Absolutely, I agree with that. They're definitely not a League One football club, that's for sure. And I need yeah. to ask you about Kevin Phillips. We talked about uh, Robbie Keane. We've talked about other strikers so far. But Kevin Phillips is someone who, although he achieved a lot in the game, I still feels a wee bit underrated when you consider he won the European Golden Boot, amongst other things. Yeah, yeah. That season I'd signed, he scored thirty goals, thirty Premier League goals. Um, I'm not too sure. I think there's only Harry Kane since that's the only English player to score thirty goals in a season. Um, I think I'm right in saying that. Um, he, he was he was phenomenal. Yes, I think he, even he would maybe credit Nile for a lot of his goals, but. Sometimes, if you look at Kevin as an individual, you've got to just say, "Well, look, his ability spoke, uh, would speak for itself." He had his goal-scoring ability in the in the inside left channel because he'd invariably always come over to my side of the pitch when, when I was a left sider, and the inside left channel is, is where he would find himself and his ability to check back onto his right foot and, and score goals beyond the goalkeeper into the far post. His his heading ability as well, considering he was. Five four five five or whatever he was, Kev. His his ability and his leap was phenomenal. His ability and his timing of, of his headers as well. It was it was great to, to to be a part of. As I said before, the players that we had, but seeing Kevin as well. That I was coming off the back of. He had great success immediately in Sunderland getting promoted to the Premier League. But to see him do it in the Premier League and then be part of it for a couple of seasons was was excellent. It was phenomenal to see, and he. I, I think probably finishing wise. As a pure natural finisher, I'd probably put him up there with maybe the best that I would have played alongside Nacho. You may, Robbie would probably put an argument to that, but I think Robbie's all-round game was better than Kevin's, I think, in, in my head. Um, and he could score goals as well, obviously. But I think Kevin is a pure natural poacher, a pure natural finisher. I think he uh, he stood out, I think, as probably the number one striker I would have played alongside, for just simply as a goal scorer. And in terms of Sunderland as a whole... What's it like when you're finishing seventh, as you've said, and the crowd are there in their numbers? Because in recent years, we've seen them as a crowd that have been disappointed time after time. But when things are going well, by God, do they back the team? 
No, I know it was. It was phenomenal. I, I, you know, my first season was a real struggle. First couple of seasons was a struggle. I think there's many, many things that have been spoken about me that I went in as, you know, one of the record signings in the club's history going into Sunderland. And it, it probably didn't work out the way that I would have liked, but we were getting nigh on 50,000 every week, every single week at, uh, at the Stadium of Light. We were having great success. We were more than competing with Newcastle, who were a super power, who were a super club at that time. You know, we were... We went to St James's and beat them. Um, I think in my second season there, um, and we just had we had a way of, you know, certainly of playing, but we also had real natural ability throughout that side as well. And I think the support that the, the, the fans gave us wherever we went on the road, you know, we'd, we'd end up. I remember we go, we'd be playing on a. a I think one one game sticks in my head is Cambridge. We played Cambridge in a cup game once. And we had about three or four thousand turn up on a Tuesday night down at Cambridge. Wherever we went, we could we would have easily sold out our, our allocation every game. And whichever club we went to, they could, probably could have doubled, even trebled the allocation for, for the for the Sunderland fans turning up. We would always always have an amazing following. And of course, at home, as I said, fifty thousand, forty what I think it was forty five, forty six thousand that we were getting every single week. It was it was a fun, phenomenal time to be part of the club because you couldn't get a seat in the ground and the atmosphere week in week out was uh, was incredible yeah when people think of David Moyes they think of those years at Everton now he might achieve something special with this West Ham team that I suppose changes that but the Everton years are always spoken about you were a part of those first hand just sum up those yeah. years under David at Everton because always punching above their weight in terms of budget yeah I, he went into Everton of course I think it was off the back of Walter Smith and Walter had done a great job at, at Everton at stabilising the club and it, it's just Everton were never able to get out of the maybe the lower half of the table and really go on and kick on from there and huge club of course but never really able to go on from there and David came in with a lot of pressure on his shoulders I think he had a, a budget to cut as well I think he had to maybe upset one or two of the bigger bigger players at the club by telling them maybe new contracts might not necessarily be, uh, be on the table and if you are going to stay you might have to take pay cuts which probably wouldn't have gone down well as well at the club at the time and he had to maybe he had to start almost from absolute scratch because he was going in maybe with a negative attitude from the dressing room probably towards him maybe the supporters didn't feel that David's name at the time uh, warranted him taking the Everton job but I as I said I mean you know I've said before I've known him since I was 15 16 and I know what a absolute top class coach he is first and foremost attention to detail is probably above any anyone that I've ever played uh, played uh, played under absolute incredible attention to detail which most managers have now don't get me wrong but David was maybe oh it was maybe a little bit ahead of his time in that respect as well that he he, he wanted to I think it, one thing with, with David was when you when you on the face of it was everything was for the players maybe players didn't recognize that at first but he wanted to make sure that the players were prepared right they, they got everything given to them, almost maybe pampered in many respects, which, you know, I suppose maybe people looking in, for, looking in from the outside would always say pampered footballs and things like that. But you have to feel wanted, I'd feel, when you're in the dressing room. Even players that aren't involved in, in the, the first 11, you've got to feel wanted. And I think the way that David set up his side was obviously, you know, 
with respect to opposition at times, but he would always find ways to try and, whether it be from set pieces, whether it would be from open play at times, to try to, to get away into the game. So if you got in front, then look, you were solid. You, 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 you maintain what you had, you stuck with what you've got and you tried to see results through. But he had great ways, I feel. Day in, day out, as I was saying before, training was was as was excellent, I felt. And I know that he got a bit of criticism maybe through his Man United days, word from the dressing room that training wasn't as good as it maybe was under Alex Ferguson and maybe training and things that he'd said. But I think maybe he had to go in with a similar sort of job at Man United that he had at Everton and he just didn't get that time, which maybe required three or four years. Ultimately, it probably did require three or four years. And I think he didn't get that time that he got. And at Everton, luckily, he had a couple of years to, to firmly establish himself. And the club went on and, and established itself as a, as a top six club, probably, over the, over that 10-year period that he was there. And that was great to be part of, certainly initially, uh, under him. And he was yeah, he, he, he was great. He was, he was great for me personally, but I think there would be many others in that Everton dressing room at, at that time that would probably say the same sort of things that I'd be saying here now. And in terms of yourself, a lot of people, when your name's mentioned, associate you with Everton. How fondly do you think of the club overall? I loved. I I can't speak highly enough of the place. I, I maybe when I left the club, I, I shouldn't have gone. Uh, that's maybe one thing I looked at. I got I got a great offer to go um, to go to Wigan. It was financially just it was such an improved offer than I that I was on. And maybe looking back, and Wigan were a club on the up as well. That Paul Jewell had gone in. He, you know, they, they, they just signed Emil Heskey, Antonio Valencia was uh, had gone in, uh, Chris Kirkland. You know, there I, I, they was brilliant players at Wigan, and, and it maybe appealed to me to go and, and have something fresh and something new. And looking back, maybe it was a wrong decision. I think myself, David Moyes was on the phone to me telling me that he doesn't want to go. And I'd spoken to David. And I said, "Hang on a minute, you've accepted an offer for me, yet you don't want me to go." But it was the club. That, it was just, it was just one of those things. I look back on and think maybe I should have stayed, and I should have maybe stayed for another three or four more years afterwards, and maybe enjoyed the success that he had afterwards. Because from the day I went into the club, I loved. I, honestly, I loved every single minute of it. The players at the club, the the people at the club, around the club. The, I mean, a couple of the players, great personalities. Big Dunk, Kevin Campbell, Lee Carsley, David Weir, Alan Stubbs, Steve Watson, Gary Naismith. Um, you know, unbelievable players. And then we, I, I signed the day, the same day as James McFadden, another brilliant player, brilliant lad. Leon Osman, who went on to to have a great career at Everton. Then we had Tim Cahill, Mikel Arteta. We had. We had great players around the club, but also great personalities. And I think the people, even down to the kit man, um, Tony and Mark, uh, Jimmy Martin, the two kit men, the, you know, people that were around that team bled Everton. Honestly, it was just am- amazing to be part of such a tight unit in that club. Um, and it was difficult, I think. I think for the rest of my career after leaving Everton was difficult because... I probably I peaked there. That was like, I, I absolutely peaked at Everton for the club and for the for the feeling that I got playing for that club. Uh, playing for that club, it, it was never bettered club wise. Absolutely, was never bettered. No. You you go to Wigan as you say, and the club was on the up. You mentioned the signing of Emil Heskey. You think of Chris Kirkland again, yourself and others that joined. You won the fans' player of the year. So I imagine that that always feels good. I loved, I loved it at Wigan. I did. Um, I mean, I went in initially playing on the left hand side of midfield. We had a season where our first season was a, it was it was a tough year. Don't get me wrong. And we had I'd probably say the biggest game I've, I've ever been involved in with uh, with any club was 
the last day of the season at Bramall Lane. We went to Bramall Lane. We had to win to stay in the Premier League. Um, it was built very much as the Carlos Tevez going to Old Trafford with West Ham, and he did. He scored, obviously, Tevez. But we, we had no saying what was happening anywhere else. The only thing we could concentrate on that day was winning that game. Because if we didn't win, if win or uh, draw or loss, we, we were relegated. We had to win. We were going away from home to Sheffield United and we relegated Sheffield United. And I don't think there's been a, there's been a better finish to a Premier League season than that day. But maybe because we're Wigan, it's not really recognised as much. But for us to do what we did that day was, was phenomenal. Emil, as you mentioned early on, was incredible on the day. He ended up playing centre-half for the last 20 minutes. Lee McCulloch was sent off with about 20 minutes to go and we, we hung on and hung on and managed to get a 2-1 win and we stayed up and it was it was amazing. I honestly got amazing. And I think that day as well was as good of a, a managerial performance I've ever seen in Paul Jewell. Paul Jewell had the, most, the utmost belief that we were going to stay up that day. He relayed that to us all week. Um, we knew what was at stake from our own point of view. Probably, you know, everyone, livelihoods of people around us at the club, our own positions as Premier League players were at risk. But I think when you get relegated from from the Premier League, the, the most pressing thing is is always the staff, the immediate staff that's around you at the club, losing jobs. There's cutbacks at the club, and we were very much a, a tight unit at Wigan, and we recognised what was at stake if we were to be relegated, and we stuck together that week. It was an amazing week's training that we had, honestly was, and we went to Sheffield that that day uh, to play against Sheffield United with the utmost belief that we were going to win the game, and we did. And it was it was an incredible memory, I think, in my head to have that day. The following season, I ended up going playing left back. I think that was the year that you're talking about where I got. I think player of the year and that was a bit it was turmoil at the start uh, Chris Hutchins took over because Paul Jewell resigned and Steve Bruce took over uh, but we had great players we had great players Wilson Palacios who went on to play for Tottenham as I said before Antonio Valencia who went on a, an incredible career at Man United brilliant players Emil, Chris Kirkland as I said before we had great personalities but also fantastic footballers in, in that uh, dressing room at Wigan and that was why we went we did well the following season we did very well we stayed up comfortably enough and it was, a, it was a great couple of years that I had at Wigan and thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely was. And in terms of Hull City, you mentioned at the start of the interview you were coaching there for a period of time. So I assume based on that that your time at Hull was a, a time that you've got fond memories from. Yeah, well, I think wherever I've been it was fond memories. Even the loan moves I had at Derby County and Huddersfield Town and even finishing off at Coventry, they were, you know, they were, they were fond memories, but... It, ultimately, we, we got relegated in the in the couple of, couple of seasons that I was there. We stayed up the first year. We had an amazing time to, in, in staying up that first season, um, which was great. And obviously, then we got relegated. And there was big cutbacks, as I said before. They ultimately, people lose jobs. Um, everyone at the club was obviously on its knees at the time when we did get relegated. But ultimately, in my mind, it was. I think I was, I was the wrong side of 30. Um, Steve Bruce called me up one evening and said, look, Hull City have come in for you. They've made an offer. They're offering you, look, they're probably going to give you a prolonged contract, which was what was offered to me. As I said before, I was 32, I think, 31, 30, yeah, I think I was 32. And I got offered a, a, a three-year deal, I think it was, to go to Hull. And ultimately, I just, again, as I said, right at the start of my career, it was always in my head, I want to play games. And that I wanted to prolong my career. I wanted to stay in the game as long as I could. And at that stage, that was the best move for me. So that's why I went to Hull. And it was a, it was a good move that I could continue my Premier League career for, for longer, into my 30s, which was great. And ultimately, 
start on the progression of coaching, which didn't materialise. But that was where I thought I was going to go, maybe when I was 34, 35. And ultimately, that just didn't quite happen the way that I, that I thought it was going to go to. But yeah, absolutely good memories of playing for Hull. Yeah, definitely. Last two questions for you, Kevin. Uh, first one, football-based. How close did you come to playing for Celtic? Was that ever an option for you? Yeah, I had a couple of options, actually. Um, I, it, it's difficult maybe to talk about at times because you might get people in trouble for maybe illegal approach and things like that, but i finished now, so maybe I can talk about them. First time I actually... I, I, I could have gone to Celtic was... Uh, I was actually at Everton and I initially went into Everton on a year's contract Everton took over my contract that I'd had with Sunderland to the end of the season but there was an option for for Everton to give me another year so I finished the year's contract and and Celtic thought I was on a free so um, I I had a I I, I actually again it's maybe one one of the Celtic hierarchy someone that was highly placed at Celtic called me in after Jackie McNamara's testimonial. We were playing against Celtic for Ireland up at Celtic Park and I was called into the Celtic boardroom after that game to tell me that, look, I was number one priority for the new manager. Martin Miller was just, uh, had just um, resigned from the job and the new manager coming in has got three players that, were, that, that, that he wants to sign and you're absolutely one of those players and we want to take you now. And I said, and actually, I just agreed that week before I went up to play that game with Everton. I'd agreed new contract, but I hadn't signed it. So I said to uh, to the rep- Celtic representative, I said, "Look, I've agreed a contract." I said, "David Moyes has been a you know huge part of my life. I've agreed, and I want to honour that. That that was the only thing I want to honour the contract. It was you know in me, I was like, I was kind of like dying inside because." My uncle still runs a Celtic supporters club from Preston. When he moved to, from when he when he moved from Ireland to England, he set up the Celtic supporters branch for for Lancashire, the northwest of England. And only thing he always said to me is, "I want to see a Kilbanner Celtic shirt. I want to see Kilban's name on the back of a Celtic shirt." And it was my 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 heartstrings were being pulled. I have to say, I was. I was so close to, to actually ringing David Moyes and saying, look, Celtic's come in. He, David Moyes knew as well. He knew me from a kid. He knew exactly how I felt about playing for Celtic. But I just thought, no, I, you know, my word was my bond almost. That was how I felt. I spoke to David and we'd agreed a contract. I was obviously playing for a club in Everton. And I just decided, look, it was the best thing for me to stay at uh, Everton and, and see uh, the next few years of my contract, which I'd just agreed through. And um, that's what I did. Then you said there I had a couple of times I had a, when Neil Lennon then was manager in his first spell at Celtic. I was at Hull at the time, and I could have gone in January. It was a loan move. Uh, well, I say it could have gone. I was actually trying to push it through. Neil Lennon had been in contact with with Hull to tell me that uh, they wanted to take me on loan. Hull preferred to let me go, and I was desperate to make the deal happen. And there was a couple of things why it couldn't be done. I think Hull wanted a fee, and Celtic weren't prepared to pay. And I was desperately trying to push it through and. It just never happened. And looking back, you know, as I said before, the, the two things I wanted to do in my career as a kid, if I'm looking back at my career, maybe as a 10-year-old boy, was play for Ireland and play for Celtic. And the Celtic thing just never happened. Although that was maybe the dream for me to play for Celtic at some stage. It just never quite materialised for me. Last question for you is um, very straightforward. Best players you played with and your toughest opponents? With, as I said before, Roy Keane, absolutely. I can say it straight off the bat. I've got, you know, I've got Robbie, 
technical ability, Damien Duff, for his dribbling ability, for the ability that he had to, to beat players and everything. Damien was uh, it was a phenomenal, amazing footballer. Um, you know, even at club level, I had one or two. Wayne Rooney was another superb, certainly at the time as well, when he was breaking in to the side. Um, but no, Roy, I've never seen a player that can that can dictate a game like, like Roy. Um, and that was playing against him at Man United as well. He was an incredible footballer. Um, and you know, I you know, it was lucky that I that I was that I was able to play alongside him for a few years with within the Irish setup. So Roy, absolutely number one, no doubt about it. You know, and I mean, against, I, I, I mean, honestly, the list is endless. When I look back at my career, the players that I played against, that I've played against Messi, I've played against Ronaldo, I've played against Zidane, I've played against Henri, I've played against Shearer. You know, maybe, maybe people overlook. You've got the record Premier League goal scorer. Um, many that have played across the Premier League. Gianfranco Zola. Um, there's so many. There are so many. Figo, uh, Rui Costa. Um, it, it, it's no. As I said before, the list is absolutely endless. Who, who I could say. Um, maybe the player that stands out. Of course, it's Messi. When you say it, but he was playing for Argentina in a friendly, so it's a bit diff- uh, a bit different. Um, so I. I'd probably say the best player I think probably that was playing through the um, through that sort of time who I used to admire watching him. I'd say Zidane. I'd probably say Zinedine Zidane because he was he was he was a phenomenon. He was an incredible footballer. You know, he wasn't really the quickest on a football pitch, but he was just so graceful the way that he moved. And I used to like watching him when I, before I'd even played against him. So I'd probably say I'd probably say Zidane because he was just he was a phenomenon really. Brilliant. Kevin, thank you for joining me. Cheers, thank you. Cheers, Callum. I'll be filled with song, I'll be 